Welcome back to another episode of Farmers Inside Track, your go-to podcast for all things agriculture. My name is Duncan Masiwa and you're listening to episode 305. Now, protecting your chickens from avian influenza is crucial to ensure their health and prevent the spread of the virus. Avian influenza can be highly contagious and pose a significant risk to both poultry and humans. Here to share some crucial steps you can take to better protect your chickens is Dr. Mukhadi Seemola, Poultry Key Account Manager for Zoetis. Dr. Mukhadi Seemola, thank you so much for joining Farmers Inside Track. Thank you so much for having me. Now, of course, this is a very important conversation. What are some of the common symptoms of bird flu in poultry? And how can farmers quickly identify an outbreak through signs of infection? Bird flu, which is avian influenza, commonly also called AI, the symptoms vary greatly depending on three things. So firstly, it's the strain of the infection, and then it's the type of bird that's affected, and then when you do the evaluation or assessment. So when I talk about strain, there are two main strains of avian influenza. You have what you call your low pathogenic avian influenza and your highly pathogenic avian influenza. Low pathogenic avian influenza kind of speaks for itself. So it's low pathogenic and the birds have symptoms that can vary from no symptoms at all to severe symptoms like death depending on the other viruses or other conditions that the birds are challenged with. Outside of that, uh, symptoms can include respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, ocular or nasal discharge, and other symptoms can also be seen on your egg-producing birds. So you see a slight drop in egg production, a slight drop in feed intake, and whatnot. The other one is high pathogenic avian influenza. Now, the most common telltale sign of high pathogenic avian influenza is an increase in mortality. So this is challenging because sometimes the virus can be so virulent and so pathogenic that the birds show no symptoms at all. Just walk into your poultry house and then birds are just uh, dying like flies, as they would say. But if you do happen to get that the more pulled out part will change that, the longer part is you get to see symptoms like green diarrhea, you see depression, you see subcutaneous hemorrhages, you see edema. Edema is, is a scientific word for swelling it's not swelling per se, but it's the scientific word for swelling. And you also see discoloration on feet. Depending on your feet diet or whatnot, you should have a good idea of what your chicken's feet look like. So if you start seeing discoloration, especially purple or reddish discoloration, which you call cyanosis or hyperemia, then you know you're most likely dealing with avian influenza. Other symptoms can also be production related, where your birds don't eat as much, where you see a drop in egg production. But also if the cop, which is the red thing on the top of the chicken's head, if that's looking discolored as well, if it's looking purple, then you know that you also might be dealing with a a challenge of avian influenza. Now, as a farmer, it is very important that you always be aware of what is normal for you, what is normal for your farm. I say that because there are read specifications where people think, oh, okay, this is what's normal, this is what is not. You need to have records that tell you what is normal for your farm. And the instant you start to see a deviation of what is normal for you, you need to be worried. So this could be a slight drop in feed intake. You give your chickens feed every day at 6 a.m. and you know by 9 p.m. all the feed is finished. If by 11, 12, the chickens still haven't finished their feed, that could be an early symptom that the chickens are trying to use to tell you that something is not okay. If you see an increase in mortality, and this can be slight, so 
if you have a 1,000 bird chicken house and what is normal for you is that every day you expect to pick up four dead birds. And then one day it goes from four birds on average and increases to six birds. Now, two birds might seem like nothing, but if you look at proportion, that's a 50% increase in your mortalities. And if you start seeing something like that, that is significant enough to be worried. And then to just reach out to your local veterinarian, if you have one, or your local state veterinarian, and just say, listen, I know we're in the middle of an AI outbreak in the country. My birds have started showing these symptoms. Could you please come through and check them for me? It definitely does. And of course, you, you highlight important points there. You know, if you see a variation from what is normal on your farm, you know, the red flags should go up and you should definitely seek assistance in that regard. In the event of a suspected avian influenza outbreak, what steps would you say should farmers take to isolate and treat affected birds? And even more so, how can they safely dispose of infected birds and materials? Once infected, avian influenza, so both low-path and high-path AI, are controlled diseases under the Animal Diseases Act at 35 of 1986, I believe. And what this means is that you are obligated to report suspected cases of controlled diseases to the Department of Agriculture. And then that can be done either through the state vet directly or through your local veterinarian or consulting veterinarian who will then follow up the necessary channels to make sure that the suspected outbreak is reported to the director of animal health. So as a farmer, the second you suspect, don't wait for confirmation. When you suspect you have AI, you contact your local state veterinarian and then you get them to do the reporting. They should know what to do. So currently, unfortunately, there is no confirmed effective treatment for avian influenza. Like I said, especially with high path avian influenza, the birds tend to die so rapidly that you don't even have time to treat. So once you do get confirmation, there is unfortunately no treatment. What you need to do is stop the spread. Now you stop the spread for yourself. If you have other houses, if you have other farms or whatnot, you try to get the disease from spreading to your other entities. But you also try to stop the spread of the disease to your neighbor or any other farmers who may be in your region or whatnot. So the first thing you need to do is you don't move your animals around. Take it back to when we're dealing with COVID. One of the strongest measures to control the spread was to limit people movement. So it's exactly the same for avian influenza. You need to limit movement, especially of your birds. So you're not allowed to take birds off the farm. And if you do, it has to be under supervision and permit with the uh, Department of Agriculture. Once you are aware of this, currently in South Africa, what we do is, is called the stamp out method or where we cull the birds. The department will enforce that you slaughter any infected and affected birds. So this means even if 10% of your chickens have died at the time, confirmed that it's AI, the government can impose that you slaughter the rest of your house. You have to obviously practice good biosecurity. And when it comes to the culling of the disease, because we are working with biological material that could be dangerous for animals and then also for human health, the disposal of the carcasses has to be done under the guidance of the Department of Agriculture. So it's not a case where you find the nearest hole and you throw all your dirt birds inside. You have to kind of liaise it with the Department of Environmental Affairs and they will kind of help guide you with how we can best alter the animals. But all of this obviously has to be done in collaboration with the local state veterinarian. Let's talk about biosecurity measures and then what are some of the best practices for maintaining proper hygiene and sanitation in and around the poultry facilities 
in order to reduce the risk of bird flu? Biosecurity means we want to keep what we don't have from coming onto our farm. And we want to keep what we do have from leaving the farm for a multitude of reasons. So biosecurity, there's a lot of things that farmers ideally should already be doing because it's not just AI we worry about. And our chickens are challenged with a multitude of diseases. So you have to have these measures in place. But if not, and you want to start working your biosecurity level, the first thing is you have to create physical barriers. It shouldn't be a case where any human being or any animal, dog, cat, goat, whatever, can walk amongst your birds and essentially exchange the viruses and bacteria. So you need to have physical barriers that keep people off of your farms and keep other animals off of your farms. What I think personally is one of the biggest risk factors is your wild birds. So if you have an open house or open sided house, they feed in the house. So other wild birds might be attracted, not might, they definitely will be attracted to the feed or whatnot. And they can work as carriers, especially for avian influenza. So you need to make sure you limit access of these other non-intended species on your farm. Simple things like making sure that the maintenance in your house is okay. That's happening on your roof. Try to put maybe like an old CD disc on the roof to chase away the birds. Whatever effective measures you can come up with to control other birds from coming onto your farm. This also includes other animals. Like I said, sheep, goats, whatever, doesn't matter. Make sure none of these animals are coming onto your farm. Make sure your rodent control is on 100 and that you know birds aren't just living with rats in, in the house because the rats can go out and come in as much as they want to and then they can also cause a, a biosecurity risk. Another thing you can do is try to have an all-in, all-out system. What that means is if you have a farm, you have one age of birds on that farm, and once you've sold out that house or sorted out that house, then you clean and sanitize that house and you rest that house as needed. Some people will have what you call a multi-age site or a multi-age house, where they have different ages of chickens in the same house or whatnot. And that tends to mess with your biosecurity because now you essentially putting the older birds that have been alive for longer so might have gotten more exposure with the new birds that are coming in for a completely different environment that maybe don't have the same level of exposure in the same environment. And this creates an environment where bacteria and viruses. So you handle physical barriers, you make sure you have a one-page site, and then keep anything that's not on the farm, not on the farm. So your cleaning material, your shovels or whatnot, if those things come onto your farm, they are cleaned, they are washed before entering the farm, they are cleaned and washed before exiting the farm for biosecurity purposes. So there must be proper cleaning and disinfection, not only of the houses, but all of all your cleaning materials. Make sure that the people, if it's yourself, that you have a change of clothes. So don't use the same clothes you went hiking with, then you come back with those same clothes. Clothes can be a mechanical carrier of viruses. So make sure that you have clothes that are specifically for the farm, that you keep on the farm, that are washed and clean, that don't necessarily get exposure to the rest of the world. Another important thing is you need to make sure you're getting your feed and water from safe sources. So vet your sources. Are you getting from a approved and registered feed mill or are you buying it from Umarumi down the road? He says, and he's been making feed for the past 10 years or whatnot. Make sure you get your feed from a reliable source. Also your water. Is the water of the quality that you yourself would drink or are you just creating a stream from the river that could be contaminated with? So those are just some of the basics people can do with regards to biosecurity. Other things, obviously, if you can shower before on the farm, if you can shower in and shower out before you enter the farm and after you exit the farm, 
then do that. If you can have foot baths, do that. Anything that you can do to kind of minimize your chickens getting exposed to what could be outside. So don't share equipment. I know it, it seems logical, but don't share equipment with any other farmers. Even if it's your brother who has a farm, avoid sharing equipment. When the feed truck drinks the feed, make sure that they don't enter your facilities if you do use a feed truck. And then if you are buying feed, don't go and buy from the guy who just now, he has 15 bags that he wants to sell to anyone. And then you go and pick those up. Because those can also be carriers of the virus, not just AI, but other viruses that might negatively influence your birds. It's interesting, you know, it's some simple things that you mentioned from changing the clothes that you wear when you enter the chicken coop to thinking about where you're getting your feed and water from and even not sharing equipment. So definitely valuable advice that you're giving us here, doctor. But also, you know, ensuring that your chickens receive a balanced diet with adequate vitamins and minerals to maintain strong immune systems. Is that also important in the fight against bird flu? Definitely, yes. Not just from an AI perspective, but from an animal welfare perspective. The animals have the five freedoms and access to feed and water as well. Then. So that is important. But like I can say, AI is it's a very smart virus wherein nutrition isn't going to be amongst your best line defense against avian influenza. So obviously, feed your, your birds the right amount of nutrients. Make sure they have the vitamins and the minerals, micro and macro that they need to maintain their selves and whatnot and to be able to fight off other infections that may be not maybe as concerning as AI. You can't enhance the birth diets to kind of help you fight AI. Even influenza is best controlled by not having it from the go. And then if you do have it, doing what you can to control it and stop it from spreading. But nutrition-wise, obviously feed your birds, give them a fighting chance, even if it's against low-path avian influenza. Give them a fighting chance so that the immunity is at least adequate enough to fight off other infections that might tend to worsen the effects of other viruses that might not necessarily be as deadly. Are there specific vaccination protocols that farmers should follow to protect their poultry from avian influenza? And how effective are these vaccines? Vaccination for IPAP avian influenza has not been authorized in the country. And vaccination for low-path avian influenza can only be done under approval from the Director of Animal Health. And that comes with very strict conditions and terms that the farmer would have to adhere to to be able to vaccinate. So essentially, no, currently there is no registered vaccine that's allowed for use locally against avian influenza. And please note the time on date. But there are some internationally available vaccines that are mass produced for the vaccination against avian influenza. These vaccines vary with efficacy because we don't all get the same strain of AI. So depending on the strain of AI that your farm is challenged with will influence the level of efficacy you observe with the different vaccines. So there are multitude of vaccines that are available internationally but not necessarily available for use locally. And this is for a multitude of reasons. So the second we vaccinate for AI, we are essentially telling the rest of the world that we know we have AI and we are trying to control it by vaccination. So this has significant implications, especially on trade, because if other countries don't want AI. So if you have AI, and I don't want to buy chicken from US Africa, that's the shortest way to put it. So vaccination will obviously have uh, economic impacts with regards to trade. But the other thing is, Avian influenza is no tick disease. And I say this because some strains of avian influenza 
have the potential to transfer to humans. So by vaccinating, you don't necessarily have control of what the virus does locally, and then it might have the chance to what we call mutate and then become more virulent, not only to chickens, but potentially become virulent to humans, which is why it's always important, and I forgot to mention this this point, if you work with chickens, if you have people around your chickens all the time and you break with avian influenza, and people start seeing symptoms. Symptoms might be very mild. It might be, I have a slight fever, I have a headache here. But when they do go consult with the human doctors, that they mention this point. Zoonotic diseases are sometimes overlooked by human doctors because not that common. But if you do find yourself having um, symptoms after handling birds that had avian influenza, when you do go to your general practitioner, to your doctor, you need to vocalize this and say, I may have been exposed to avian influenza I'm not sure. Can you please just take that into consideration as you do the clinical workup? So that's another thing. So we don't vaccinate currently, but who knows, maybe one day we will. But it's something that people have to really consider because of the trade implications. And again, because of the zoonotic implications or risk that disease poses. That was, of course, Dr. Mukhadi Seemola, Poultry Key Account Manager at Zoetis. Of course, you can read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. This week, we also celebrate hashtag soil sister Mapula Hosi, who joins us to share how she went from a failed ice cube business to turning her passion for trees into a growing empire, supplying biomass fire starters and brigades to major retail outlets. Mapula's eco-friendly products makes cooking and starting fires seem effortless, turning even the most daunting tasks into a breeze. I was always getting frustrated that I need to boil water, I need to cook for my family, but you know, sometimes you run out of gas, you don't even have the money to buy gas. But I need to come up with a product that people can be able to test and see if it's working for them. Sometimes you need to start the fire quickly and it doesn't work out for you. So that's when the idea of the fire starters came up and we just using recycled because we used to have a lot of sawdust just sitting around and not knowing what to do with it. So that's when we came up with this um, idea of doing this fire starters because what you do with this, you just put your charcoal or your firewood in, in your bright stand or in your stove and then you just light and then it starts the fire quickly. You don't have to roll in the papers, doing all those things. So that's how the idea came about and... Every time when you're sitting there, we're just coming up with the method of improving things in life. That's when the idea of doing the briquettes that we use for cooking and we also boil water with this and you can also fry your meat with this. The reason for that is that we need a product that is not health hazardous to us. So that's the reason why we came up with the waste from the trees because the sawdust was also lying around and we didn't even know what to do with the sawdust. So that's when we said we're going to try out to do the briquettes, the briquettes as well. Our products are mainly being sold to the local stores. The local stores, they buy from us and they resell to the local community members. With the briquettes, we're not actually out there that much on the market because it's still on the test run, trying to see if this is the product, the right product for the community to be able to use. But with the fire starters, we already have clients for this. People are coming in to buy from us and trying to make their fires with it. And it's actually doing well at the moment, the fire starters. What we've done, we've actually came up with a brand again, we calling Dynac K, so that when people are out there, they can be able to recognize us and remember that the fire starter is different from what other fire starters that we are used to. 
ours it's different in a sense that some people even mistake it for muti. <laughs> <laughs> so then you have to explain to people that no, this is just your waste. You just need to take this and then put it in your price, and then the the fire starts so easily. You don't need to be working hard, making your hands dainty and all that. That's the advantage of using our fire starter. Mapula Jose is one of the phenomenal women selected to participate in the 2023 Hashtag Soul Sister program. Catch a full interview on www.foodformzanzi.co.za and on Foodform Zanzi's YouTube channel. And that's a wrap. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. From me, Duncan Masiwa, our technical producer, Megan van der Fint, and the rest of Team Foodform Zanzi, thanks for listening. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.